but you could see that he's not worried about drawing in these big crowds. Mm -hmm. He's worried about drawing a line in the sand of showing what faithfulness is. But I think we've done the reverse in the seeker friendly movement where we're, we're so wanting the big crowds in mm -hmm. that we shy away from the hard sayings. Mm -hmm. We preach only the, the stuff that's good to the ears to hear that are based in scripture, but we'll, we'll cherry pick out the stuff that paints Jesus and what we think is the best light for our time, which that's not, that's not our prerogative to do. We, he has revealed himself, our prerogative, our, what we're called to do is to faithfully teach who Jesus really is. I thought we would start with a quote from the book, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, where he talks about the gap between our conception of Jesus and what we actually find in the scriptures. So right. let me read this for us. It says, it is all too easy to believe in a Jesus who is largely a construction of our own imagination, an inoffensive person whom no one would really trouble to crucify. But the Jesus we find in the gospels, far from being an inoffensive person, gave offense right and left. I thought that'd be a good place for us to start this series on the hard sayings of Jesus. And, and by the way, this is uh, written by F.F. Bruce, a well-known scholar from the, the last century. I thought that would be a good place for us to start this conversation on the hard sayings of Jesus, because I do find that that is something we can fall into, uh, basically believing in a Jesus that makes sense to us mm -hmm. in our modern lives. And that tends to be a kinder, gentler Jesus. But as we read the Gospels, we're confronted with a Jesus who was highly controversial in his own time. People didn't know what to make of him. Some thought that he was a good guy who was leading the people to God. And others felt quite the opposite, that mm -hmm. he was actually working for the prince of demons mm -hmm. and actively drawing people away from faithfulness. So what do you think about this idea of, of this gap between who we think Jesus is and who we actually find in scripture. I, I think it's, I think it's huge to worship Jesus as he actually reveals himself to be, because to do anything else would be idolatry, right? So you can slap Jesus's name on some construct that we've built in, in modern times or in our own mind off of a couple of, of stories that we really like of how he healed of how he forgives, yes. Of of how he he promises his nearness, and we, which are all true. But if those are the only boards that we use to build our construct of Jesus, then it's not the full story, and which means it's not the the accurate picture of who he is, which leads us down to roads of idolatry. Because because we'll begin to build in off of those few stories our own thoughts of what he's like. Uh, and, and particularly around this, I, I think I love that we're going to do this series on, on the hard sayings of Jesus, because it is true as, as Bruce says that he's offensive and, um, that's not popular in our cancel culture days right now. Right? Like, like, don't say anything that offends me. And what's interesting about Jesus, he's not a jerk necessarily. You know, like right. He's not mean to people. Right. And so when we're reading what he's saying, his his offensiveness is not his tone of of meanness towards others that disagree with him. 
his offensiveness is legitimately what he's saying about mm-hmm. himself. And and it 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 comes in like hammers. And we tend to shy away from that. I, and I, you know, I, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago on I think the well the good intentions of the seeker friendly movement within church growth and all of that of the last couple decades um, was to get more people in and near Jesus that they might hear the gospel. Right. And yet when you find these hard sayings, like the one we're going to look at today, the, the kind of OG it's when he had the biggest crowd around him that he drops this bomb. Right. And so you could see that he's not worried about drawing in these big crowds. Mm-hmm. He's worried about drawing a line in the sand of showing what faithfulness is. But I think we've done the reverse in the seeker-friendly movement where we're, we're so wanting the big crowds in that we shy away from the hard sayings. Mm-hmm. We preach only the, the stuff that's good to the ears to hear, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that are based in Scripture a lot of times. Sometimes it's not within all of it, but we'll, we'll cherry pick out the stuff that paints Jesus and what we think is the best light for our time, which that's not, that's, that's, that's not our prerogative to do. We, he has revealed himself, our prerogative our what we're called to do is to faithfully teach who Jesus really is. And so to do that, you've got to walk through the hard sayings. You gotta, you gotta be truthful <laughs> with what Jesus actually said. So here we go. That's right. And this is a series because there are a lot mm-hmm. of these hard sayings. So Bruce in his book, tracks 70 of them 70 and this is not exhaustive of course and we're not going this series is not going to be 70 episodes long but we do want to wrestle with these hard sayings and what they teach us about jesus himself who he is what he values what he communicates as being true and being the source of life um but we also want to wrestle with the sayings themselves. Yeah. What is it that he's trying to, to teach us? And like you said, we're going to start the series with the OG hard saying mm-hmm. from John chapter six, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But before we dive into that, let me just read a couple of other statements from the uh, preface of this book. He goes on to say that there are two kinds of hard sayings that Jesus gives. Some of these hard sayings are difficult to understand. And some are difficult to accept. Mm -hmm. And so as we go through this series on the hard teachings of Jesus, we're going to wrestle with, well, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. Because part of what makes it a hard saying is we're, we're not sure exactly what it does mean. But then secondly, what does it mean for me to accept and live by this teaching? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we, we know what the meaning is. Mm -hmm. The hard part is actually accepting it and living by it. And to that end, he, he gives a quote from Mark Twain. (laughs) He says, Mark Twain spoke for many when he said that the things in the Bible that bothered him were not those that he did not understand, but those he did understand. (laughs) And I, I think we can all relate to that. Um, and sometimes the better we understand these teachings, the, the harder it is for us to accept them. One last uh, word before we kind of dive into today's conversation. He says, if we explain the hard sayings of Jesus in such a way that it makes them more acceptable and less challenging, then our explanation is probably wrong. And I think that ties in directly with your thoughts on the seeker sensitive movement. If we're if we're trying to keep crowds and and grow our audience 
by making these by making the the challenging aspects of Jesus's person and teaching less challenging that's that's not good that's not what we're we're interested in doing and you're right Jesus seems to have regularly as he was gaining in popularity regularly dropped these hard sayings because it's something that it teaches us about Jesus just the fact that he would do that is that Jesus's highest value is not numbers his highest value is not getting more and more people under his banner now Jesus I think Jesus wants as many people as possible to have the opportunity to respond to him and be reconciled to the father but as they come into contact with Jesus that reconciliation needs to be based on a true recognition and uh, surrender to Jesus himself, the, the true Jesus that that we find. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's worried about a faithful kingdom, not a gigantic kingdom. Yeah. Right now. And, and I think he he does want, uh, you know, God desires uh, that all would be saved. Scripture tells us so. Um, yeah. But to save to the actual God of the universe, who he actually is and and not constructs of what we want him to be like. So, um, you know, we don't have the right to glorify Jesus in ways that Jesus didn't glorify himself. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we we in ministry, we do that a lot. We, we think that we're going to be effective in ministry by being more strategic. Um, and Jesus teaches we will be effective in ministry by being more faithful. And, and it is the legitimacy of accepting these hard teachings and walking with the actual Jesus and God of the universe that we will then in turn be more faithful and then in turn be more effective and more fruitful in our faith. And so we, I think it's just a good rule of thumb. If, if, if this is what Jesus did to glorify himself was to draw clear lines in the sand about what it means to believe and what it doesn't mean to believe, then that's what we're called to do. Uh, don't, don't smudge the line so that it feels like there's more people. Right. Draw the clear line that he draws. And this is a big one. And that's, I think that's at the heart of, of John six is, is he draws a very distinct line in the sand. He does. And, and they end up leaving. They're saying, who can accept these teachings? <laughs> these are hard things that's to right. accept. Yeah. That's right. In fact, that's that's kind of where we get this phrase, the hard sayings of Jesus, because his own disciples said, this is a difficult saying or this is a hard saying. So we'll we'll get to that. But I like your point that for us, our, our ultimate goal is to be faithful to first submit ourselves to who Jesus truly is and what he taught. And then secondly, reflect a true full picture mm -hmm. of Jesus to the world that needs to come to know him and, and belong to him. So that's really what we want to do as we wrestle with these hard sayings is what does this teach us about Jesus? How can we communicate it to others and how can we live by it with faithfulness? Yeah. And I'd add one caveat to what you said. I agree with you totally to present a full picture of who Jesus is, but to present it the way that Jesus presented it. We don't yeah. have a right to do that in in ways that are contrary to the way that Jesus did it. So for instance, in order to, to present, you know, the hard sayings of Jesus and draw lines in the sand, the church has often can, can be very judgmental, very harsh and, and mean. And yet the judgmentalism to a worldly folk around him 
it wasn't the the it wasn't the uh tax collectors and prostitutes that had a hard time with it with the line in the sand not in this chapter for sure it's the religious folk that have a hard time well and in john six we'll see it's actually his disciples so people that were positively predisposed they, they were actively following jesus up to this point yeah yeah it is the point of jesus i guess what i'm just saying is don't be a jerk (laughs) <laughs> Jesus isn't Jesus yeah. isn't mean. He 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 is full of truth and full of grace. And so we in the name of grace to let more people in oftentimes we we forsake truth or we water down truth, but in the name of truth a lot of times we water down grace. So I guess what I'm saying is we do need to be more truthful. In our time this is a big big issue, but we don't have the right to do that by reducing the amount of grace we also offer. So how do we hold both of those things? faithfully and i think he does it beautifully in this text as well and so well one of the essentials to grappling well grappling well with the hard sayings of jesus is context so these Mm -hmm. statements it wasn't like jesus just showed up in a town and out of nowhere dropped this this bombshell where it's a hard saying and, and people were completely taken by by surprise these hard sayings are given in the context of larger Mm -hmm. uh, situations and larger teachings and questions that Jesus was receiving. So, and such is the case here in John six. So what we're going to do is we're going to set the stage by giving a bit of a a, a summation of the first half of the chapter. And then we'll actually pick up the text and we will read from verses 29 through 69. It's a, it's a long chapter, the longest chapter in John's gospel. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. I think it's 72 verses, something like that. Over 70 for sure. Um, So we're going to just summarize the, the events that preceded this teaching. And then we'll, we'll read the text for the teaching itself. So do you want to give us a, a summary of what was going on in John six that led up to this conversation between Jesus? Yeah, I'm, in fact, I'm going to back up a little bit before John John six because I think it matters to the purpose of John's book and and what Jesus has, is doing in these first several chapters. The whole purpose is so that we might believe in who Jesus is. This is the thrust of of Jesus' ministry, and he uses many metaphors that are hard to believe. And so we're we're in chapter six, but we've already had the conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter three. And he tells him, you've got to be born again and and that all who believe in him, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So he's introduced this idea. And Nicodemus has no clue. What does it mean to be born again? And so he has this conversation of being born of the spirit. Chapter four, you have the conversation with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, right? And and he calls himself right. the, the water of life, right? right. And and uh, and again, she she she's missing the metaphor. She thinks he's talking about, you know, drawing uh, actual actual water uh, to drink. And by the way, let's loop back to that as we get into John six, because there there are some really interesting parallels between his conversation with the woman. In John four, where he is, he, he offers the water that satisfies yeah, absolutely. Uh, the true water, the, the water of life. And here in John six, where he describes himself as the bread of life. And, and here is something interesting. And, and because we in chapter six, he's, he's going to be talking to a primarily Jewish audience, right? And Jewish leaders. But in chapter four, after his conversation with the woman, it, John specifically tells us many Samaritans believe 
which is interesting, right? Mm. So you have these non-Jews or half-Jews, folks that that they were they would not have liked. They actually believe in Jesus. So again, we have this grace of of Jesus at play there, of a woman who, who's in adultery, and, and all that matters. So chapter five, he has a very public healing that catches a lot of attention. Right, uh, people want to know about that at the pool. And then you go into chapter six, and in chapter six, he he crosses over the Sea of Galilee. He's on the far shore. It says so. He's had the healing, and now he's he's crossed over to the far shore, um, and it's around Passover. And he looks up, and this is his 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 largest miracle pre uh, resurrection that we have, just in terms of scope of of number of people this affected, right? Right. And so he it's Passover, and this is famously where he feeds the five five thousand plus, where they. Um, you know, a couple of loaves of bread and, and, and specifically in John um, versus the other gospels, there's a conversation grasp for us where Jesus, Jesus is pushing them. He knows, John says he already knows what he's going to do, but he's asking them, Hey, how are we, how are we going to feed everybody? He's asking his disciples. disciples yeah. How, how are we going to feed everybody? We've got this crowd. We don't have food. How are we going to resolve this? Right. And, and I, I love that he's, he, it, it, John specifically says he already knows what he's going to do. Right. And so he has them sit down. He famously feeds everyone, but, but Peter has this, um, or no, and excuse me, Philip, uh, has, has this response to him that say it would take a year's way, half a year's wage to buy enough food for everyone just to have a bite. Hmm. Right. And that's huge because then at the end of the miracle, it's not only that everybody had a bite, but that there were 12 basketfuls left over. So this is to show the scope of Jesus. All right. And and I mean, just so they had a feast. They feasted on that mountainside, hmm. which you're talking about feasting in in the prosperity of America. That's that's called lunch. You know, we just do that <laughs> regularly at any point. We can go down to a, a restaurant that, you know, there's a smorgasbord right. of availability of food in this culture that that is not common. Feasts are held for extremely special events. They cost, as, as you see, a lot of money and a feast to this scope. I mean, just, just huge. So these people ate their belly full, right? And then you have the famous story of the, uh, right after that, the crowds are gigantic. And at the end of this, and I think this is important, uh, Jesus withdraws from this crowd. So you have this huge crowd right. that are so excited about Jesus. But at the end of this story, um, verse 15 of chapter chapter 6, it says, But Jesus knew that they intended to come and make him king by force. So he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And I think that's huge for our context. He wasn't interested in political power of this world to be the means by which he he brought reformation. Right. Right. He he wanted to reform hearts and lives. And that was through a different means than political force. And Right. I think that matters for our time. So then he withdraws. The disciples get on a boat and they make their way to Capernaum across the Sea of Galilee. Um, and Jesus comes down in the night and he famously walks on water in the midst of the storm over to all of them. And, and what, what an incredible story. But again, John is including all of these details so that we can see the significance of who Jesus is. Right. So yes. he is. He's healing. He's feeding. Now he's walking on water, and uh, which is just amazing. And the disciples get to see this. So then the next day, 
Um, and this sets up the scene. The crowd looks around and they're like, uh, Jesus isn't here. There was one boat. They're confused how he's not there anymore. But so, they didn't see him right. get on the boat. I mean, Jesus basically takes off in the middle of the night. They're unaware of this, but yeah. they... It, when morning comes, they gradually begin to realize that, hey, Jesus bounced. He He's no longer here. He he took off on us. And so they hurry over to the other side and they find Jesus in, in Capernaum, right? And so this sets up at the at the synagogue in Capernaum. Right. This sets up the showdown. Yeah. And I think this is important because when we talk about the miracles of Jesus, we need to understand that the miracles of Jesus, think about them in a in a a bifocal way. So the miracles of Jesus, they, they always resolved a, an immediate issue. So in John five, the man could not walk. Jesus performed a miracle. The man could walk in John six, the crowds are hungry. There's not enough food. Jesus performs a miracle. The crowd is able to eat. That's sort of the, the immediate context, but they're, they're also described as signs that these miracles were not just works of power, but they were, they were supposed to indicate to the people of his day and to us that Jesus is special, that there's something about him that we need to understand that goes beyond just being a great teacher or a wise person or even a king, a political leader. There, there's something about who he is and what he's been sent to accomplish that goes beyond that. And so... What we have here is that the people, they see the sign. So they don't, it's not just like they ate and we're happy about it. They recognize that this, this person has power and we need to, to have a special uh, acknowledgement of who he is. Their, their uh, best understanding of that was king. Mm. We need to, this is a sign that this man mm. needs to be our earthly king. He's going to save us from the Romans and the Roman occupation. He's going to, he's going to be this promised king that God has, has sent. And that's really the context of what we're going to get into here at the second half of the chapter is Jesus seeking to recalibrate that, Hey, you've seen the sign, you know, that it says something about who I am and what I want to accomplish, but you've misinterpreted who I am and what I'm trying to accomplish. And that, that really sets the stage for us to, to understand, well, Jesus is trying to recalibrate that for us here in the teaching on the bread of life. Yeah, I love it. And he specifically chooses to go to the place of Jewish worship because he's about to have a very Jewish yes. conversation <laughs> so I now, mean, about their history, about manna, about all this stuff. Like this context matters, I think, where he chooses right. to do yeah, this. Yeah, because he's in the synagogue. So let's read the text. Yeah. All right. And let's pause real quick. <laughs> you need your glasses. Brother, in the last week, I have discovered that I cannot read. If I don't get these these peepers, man, I don't think you need to pause that. You know, keep that in there. Oh, yeah. let, okay. well, let me, see the truth well, let me put these on. I am a grandfather, so uh, I can start wearing these, I guess. So, yeah, <laughs> we're, in, pop up. <laughs> we're in John six and we're going to read verses twenty nine through sixty nine. Well, I think I th let's let's back up just a little bit because Jesus confronts them and says, you guys are looking for me only because you you were fed. Right. So they, they track him down. They find him. And Jesus is he's a little he's not flattered. He's, he's actually, he's perturbed. He's, and, and I, I, I'll, I'll just read what it says. Sure. Jesus answered and said, because they said, Rabbi, how did, uh, when did you get here? Right. And so, and he tells them, and, and to your point, they're addressing him as Rabbi. 
right. not as Lord, hmm. you know, teacher, when did you get here? Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, as you pointed out, that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. So they had a feast. It was nice. Yeah. They they prospered that afternoon. They liked that version of Jesus. They, they wanted more that version of, of that Jesus. version of Jesus. Right. right. And he's telling them, that's the only reason you're following me. Not because you're amazed at who I am. Mm. You like the provision more than the provider. Yeah. They wanted, they wanted more of the sign. Not necessarily more what the sign was was pointing them and, to. And that is that is huge for our time. How often do I do that? Mm, yeah, where I go to the Lord, not out of a out of a posture of worship to be amazed at who G, who you are, God. I'm just gonna sit. But man, I run to prayers that I want answered. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. I think these these things teach us. They're a mirror for us as well. You know, we, and this is human nature, I think, is that we're very uh, self-focused. And so oftentimes what motivates us to seek Jesus is what we can get from him. Yeah. I mean, they made great effort to get to Jesus. I mean, I mean yeah. And he's not that happy about it. No. Like, like I think, I and like, of course, Jesus loves every single one of them, which is why he fed them, which is why he gave them a sign. And this is what the whole conversation is about, right? That, that he wants them to see his glory of who he really is. But just, just on the front side to take this personally, um, is I wonder how many times Jesus looks at me and says, Shelton, you're just here, not because you're amazed at who I am, but because you need something from me yeah. or you want something from me. And, and I, so many of my prayers can be just, mm. you know, hit a wall there of saying, stop that. <laughs> right. Right. And oftentimes that's what drives us to God is we have those needs, but true faith leads us beyond just seeking what we can get from him to recognizing who he truly is and beginning to relate to yeah, him. Yeah, and Jesus cares about our daily he does. bread. And right. he tells us to pray for our I daily bread. I don't think bread. this is an either or. It's not. It's just if if our only reason for seeking Jesus is how he can make our lives more comfortable, we're not really going to be finding the true Jesus that we see here in, in Scripture. Yes, and if we, and this will get into the difference of kingdom on earth versus the kingdom of heaven, temporal life, versus eternal life conversation that he's going to get in manna in the desert mm -hmm. versus the actual bread of heaven um, conversation is that we can become so myopic about only our life right here. And he cares about mm -hmm. our daily bread. Right. But he's also saying, man, man, look beyond this. We're going to see that in, in these verses because he's going to talk a lot about the flesh and the spirit and one who came from heaven and, and how this one who came from heaven is trying to elevate our understanding. Right. So this is what Jesus tells them. He says, uh, starting in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Like he's telling them, Hey, get your focus on more than just right here now, which the son of man will give you for on him, uh, God, the father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do um, to do the works God requires? So they're wanting that. So what, what is this work? So you want to pick it up there? Yeah. So let me, I'll read the next little section and then we can just kind of go back and forth. Yeah. We'll read straight through it and then we can come back. And, okay. 
pick some of the highlights. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. At this time, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is, not, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father." Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life, and I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven, and whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven." Your ancestors ate manna and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? <laughs> then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, there is a lot that we could dive into. This podcast is, we try to keep it between 45 minutes and an hour. So <laughs> let me just say that we're not going to- Are you putting a governor on me? Yeah, <laughs> we're, I mean, when I when I have uh, conversations with you and John Snyder, two, two of my best friends, we always go along, but that's yeah. because we're having so much yeah. fun. But we're not gonna mine the depths of everything that there is to to get here. Maybe just to start us off, I think if you look at this, there's really a, a, a series of hard sayings that Jesus mm -hmm. gives they, here that, they, they that, crescendo that builds up yeah, to yeah. the ultimate. So the first one is he, he begins to describe himself as not just bread, but bread that came down from heaven. And this is the first thing that I would say it's almost like a circuit, right? Where you're blowing a fuse. The first fuse blows where they say, wait a second, mm -hmm. isn't this, we know Mm -hmm. who this is. Mm -hmm. This is Jesus, the son of Joseph. We know where he came from and it wasn't heaven. <laughs> and so the, the, the first uh, stumbling or hard saying that, that they struggle with is his claim to have come from heaven. And then of course, Jesus uh, takes it a step further to emphasize that not only has he come from heaven, but he's going to give his flesh to bring life to the world. And and that's a second difficult saying, which is, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus, you could say, triples down. He says, truly, I tell you, unless you do this, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. And so, at each case, he doesn't make it easier, kind of like we were talking about earlier. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, wait a second. Um, I think you misunderstood. This is all allegory. I, I'm not literally saying i'm not promoting cannibalism i mean i think there's enough here that we'll, we'll get into but but yeah jesus we see here that he is he's insisting that we embrace him on his terms for who he really is not who we want him to be and obviously jesus has uh the picture has the cross in mind right right but i don't think he has the lord's supper in mind here i don't either so right? and I'm, this I'm, is this is a big thing because yes. you know, the catholic church will take this and they, their whole doctrine of transubstantiation within the, you know, when the priest bless the, the wafer, it actually becomes the flesh. And when he blesses the wine, it actually becomes the blood. And there's a miracle right. that happens there. And they, and so they teach you have to come and take communion yes. regularly. And if you are going to uh, go to heaven because of, because of this text, which right. that is, that is a very literal reading of this, which is not what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I think that, that, that is huge. He also picks though, a, according to Levitical law, like it, cannibalism is, 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 <laughs> 
Right. Very against the law. So he picks a right. metaphor that he knows offends him. And he, he asks, does, does this offend you? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you offended? By Cheeky. This? It is. It is. And yet he chose it. But and, and we can get into the flesh and blood. So Jesus is not being he's not sitting vampire Jesus, you know, come and drink my blood uh, and live. He this is all about belief. That is what this is really about is do we believe who he says he is. I, I think what sets this up, and this is interesting to me, is they ask in verse 30, what sign will you give us? Uh, you know, Moses, Moses gave bread in the desert. And that's so funny because he <laughs> just fed them all right. out in the desert. Right. And and they it, he called it a sign himself. And that wasn't enough. I think you see there the spirit of the ones who were seeking Jesus, that there's there is a seed of doubt or challenge in this question. Well, hey, Moses gave us, Moses gave our ancestors bread and he did it every day for 40 years. Yeah, so they were wanting the regular, like, like, can you, can you do that? Right. Which I think is why they bring, so they're the ones who actually bring in Moses and this yes. whole idea of bread from heaven. So Jesus basically says, okay, let's talk about that. Let's, yeah. let's talk yeah. about bread from heaven. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and he's, he says, and they ate it every day and died. Yeah. Like it filled their <laughs> belly and they died. Yes. But what I am coming to offer is, is, is eternal life. I am the bread and you will, you will never go hungry mm -hmm. and you will never thirst. And that goes back to the woman at the well, like whoever drinks this, this life water that I give will never thirst. And in fact, their initial reaction is, sir, give us this bread. Same as what, what and, she had. Right? And she said, Sir, give me this water so I won't have to keep coming back here to the well. So there's this initial desire. That sounds great. I would love water that that satisfies me forever. And then Jesus has to begin to go on to explain what he means by by this. Yeah, offer. He's saying that's me. Right. That that is me. And so he gets over and I mean, I mean it's pretty clear what he is. What he's comparing himself to the actual bread of heaven. So then the question really needs to become. How does the bread of life, how does Jesus satisfy us to where we never hunger and thirst? What kind of hunger and thirst is he talking about? He's not talking about a physical hunger and thirst, right? Because um, we clearly, my, my, my belly still growls, right? And, I, <laughs> and if I don't drink enough water, I'll, I'll get thirsty, right? He's not talking about that. That's what they were hearing. That's what they wanted. He's talking about something much, much deeper. We just got through spending, you know, half a year in, in the book of Ecclesiastes at, at our church. And so much of that book is how the world doesn't satisfy. Like it, it cannot satisfy. You can search for it <laughs> all eternity long, you know, and here in the world and it, and it cannot satisfy. And so what Jesus is offering is 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 the the solution to what is universally true about mankind, according to Ecclesiastes, right? That everybody has been given by God a piece of of eternity within them that they're hungering for, and they they cannot comprehend it. They they we we cannot like we're hungering and thirsting. We're we're trying to have this eternal hunger and thirst within us of meaning, of purpose, of, of really, uh, you, you, you can go continue on a metaphor of, of we were created to be in unity with God and we're not. And so we keep trying to fill that in. Right. And Jesus is saying, here's what I'm coming 
to give this this satisfaction on a deep spiritual level that you cannot have any other way. I think it's helpful to understand again context and and so often in scripture you see this where first of all in the Old Testament you'll see Jesus constantly referring back. So you mentioned his conversation with Nicodemus from from John 3 yeah. earlier and there again Jesus refers back to the story of the serpents and the bronze mm -hmm. Uh, the bronze serpent on the staff that Aaron would would lift up. Mm -hmm. you know, so you had this you had this serpent on a staff, and when the people were bitten by the snakes, Aaron would lift up the bronze staff, and anyone who looked on that was was healed, would not die from uh, the snake bites. And and Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And so you have these I call them shadow stories. You mm -hmm. have these mm -hmm. they. I believe that they they truly happened. So this story about Moses sure. and the bronze serpent, there really was an instance where this was happening in the Old Testament. But there is it, it's a shadow that actually points us to the substance, which is Jesus and yeah. how he was going to be lifted up and how that was going to br bring ultimate healing from the the bite of the snake. Um, that would lead to death, that we would find the ultimate cure for that bite and that poison in Jesus and his work on the cross. You see this again in the story in John four, that Jesus is, he's pointing to this, this physical reality, but then trying to direct our attention to understand something that's true about himself. And so with this story in John six, he's, he's referring back to what well, they bring it up, but he, he picks up on it and says, okay, let's, let's really dig into that. Yes. God sent bread. Uh, he sent a, a physical, substance, if you will, that was going to provide life for people that were starving. And it did, it provided life and it sustained them in the wilderness. Now, God has sent the true bread that has come down from heaven. And the, the original thing that tripped them up was the idea of Jesus coming down from heaven. So, I mean, there's, there's kind of two dimensions where one, he's, he's claiming to be this bread of life. That's actually even better than the manna. Um, but initially the thing that, that, that they really were offended by is his claim to have, to have come from heaven. I, I think that's a significant part of sure. the story. He actually refers back to it when his disciples are grumbling. Um, he has this uh, statement here. In verse uh, 62, I think it is, he says, uh, verse 61, does this offend you? What if you were to observe the son of man ascending to where he was before? And so the, the implication there is, listen, I know my Andrew's reading of this. I know that what I'm saying is <laughs> mind blowing, but what if I were to ascend back to, to where I was before, because I'm, I'm telling you this truth as one who has, who has come from heaven. The only one, the only, the only human who has ever walked on the earth, whose, whose life predated his birth. So Jesus, yes, he's, he's delivering this radical teaching, but he's a radical person. Like he, he's unlike any other human mm -hmm. because he came from heaven. And so it's sort of like, well, Hey, if, if I returned and you could see that, would it make this teaching more acceptable to you? And I think it does. I think so too. And we see him doing that in, yeah. in Acts. Um, um, on purpose. I, 
you know, I think the key to his metaphor of, of eat my flesh and drink my blood, let's get into the heart. Yes. Saying, right. So he doubles down on, he's the bread of heaven. And, right. and then he says, I'll show you how much I am. And he's thinking of the cross mm. of his flesh and blood, yeah. uh, which would be given for you, you know, uh, for, for me. Um, he says, unless you eat this, you have, you have no life. And I think there's some key words in this that, that matter. So if we jump over to verse, verse 53, he says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. NIV says, I don't, you're reading the NLT. I don't know what it, what it says there at the end of 53. Does the word in you so this one is actually um, the, the Holman. Oh, you're in the Holman. Okay, sorry. But the Holman says, um, you do not have life in yourselves. In yourselves. Okay. Right. All right. So in you, I think this matters. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. Um, hold on to verse 55. I actually think that's, that's a huge key to all of this. Uh, go down to verse 56. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them right this is language he'll use again in john 15 about abiding in in him and and in john 14 15 you have the conversation and 16 you have the conversation of the holy spirit i i think this is getting to a a spiritual reality of of what jesus does for us or what he promises uh to us or what he gives and so i think the real question of of what is it how, how does Jesus fulfill us and satisfy us? And the answer to that is he gives us the Holy Spirit, the life of heaven, right? The, the, the life of God here on earth inside of us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. This is his teaching in John 14, 15 and 16, that, that this, you've got to have this inside of you. Mm -hmm. um, and, <laughs> and this is where satisfaction comes from. He tells you, I, I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That's John 15. So, so the, the idea, uh, John 10, 10, I come that you might have life and have it to its fullest. This is a theme of Jesus's teaching in John yes. that, that I want you to be satisfied on a deep, deep spiritual level. Right. So what he is saying is because these are people that have eaten the Passover meal over and over and over. They have eaten bread over and over and over. They have done the religious stuff over and over again. And yet they are still spiritually empty and hungry. Right. And so what is it that Jesus does? Because we are still very guilty of doing that. We can take communion and go through the elements over and over again and still be not satisfied with life. So what is Jesus lying? Does he not bring a satisfaction that I'll never hunger and thirst again? And I think the key to it is understanding what he says. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And I think it's as simple as this. Oftentimes we get to the point of thinking that Jesus is true, but do we actually think that he is real? Hmm. Meaning I think it's true that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again. And I think it's true that he gives all those that, that are baptized into his name for forgiveness, according to Peter and Acts, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think that's true. But do I think that's really happened to me? That this is real, that, that it, his spirit, the spirit of the living God is in me. Because if I think that's real, then I don't have to go searching for anything. I don't have to go. I have. I can. And so I. I love in 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 Hebrews in in the Hall of Fame of of faith. Hebrews chapter eleven 
um, verse six, um, it says, and again, this is about belief, right? He says, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, must believe that he is real and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And this is beyond superstition. It's beyond food. Just give me provisions here in this world. It is, I can go on a mountainside by myself Mm. with my Bible in hand and believe that I am really about to commune with the God uh, that created everything my eyes see. And he is really with me. Like I'm sitting with you and he really will commune with me and I will really commune with him. And in that, when we get to that level, that's what it means to really abide in him. Right. And he and us. And we feast mm-hmm. on that. We right. are like, Jesus, your flesh and blood made this possible. <laughs> right? right. Like not just that I get to go to heaven when I die, but it made it possible that you will be in me. So whoever eats my flesh and blood, who whoever believes this, that I actually died on a cross for their sins, I will remain in me and I in them. And I think that's the key to this whole text. And he gives us a very tangible thing that we get. Okay. I actually eat and drink. Like I can see a picture or I can see bread and, and, and juice on a table and think that's true, but it does not satisfy me until I go pick that up and I eat it and I drink it and then my belly will be full. And likewise, I can see Jesus on the cross and think that's true. But until I start to pray and operate like that is real and the Holy Spirit is inside of me, I will not have my soul satisfied. I will continue to believe and yet hunger and thirst spiritually because I'm not feasting on it regularly. And I think that's what the, the text is about. Yeah, I think uh, I'm glad you highlighted this idea of believe and took us to Hebrews 6 there. I'm sorry, Hebrews 11, 11. Um, because Jesus, that's a thread that runs throughout this. In fact, from from the very beginning, they ask him, well, what is the work of God so that we can do it? He says, this is the work that you believe in him is whom it? God has sent. So this idea, again, sometimes we can get and with this saying in particular, I think we can be looking for what's the action that I need to take. And so, again, you, you refer to the, the Catholic teaching on the Eucharist and transubstantiation. And, and it's, it's, a very, it's very focused on the action that you take this, you, you do this physical act. But what Jesus is, is pointing us to throughout this passage is the work that we are called to do is to believe, to, to believe that he truly is who he says he is, that yeah. he is this bread that has come down, that he is the lamb of God who was sacrificed for the sins of the world on the cross. And, and you see that uh, throughout because he comes back to it uh, partway through where, where he says here, um, let's see here. Am I still in John six, verse 47, truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Again, the, the, the emphasis, um, and then a little bit later when he, when he reprimands or, or chastens the disciples who were struggling with this teaching, he goes on, uh, to say that, um, he says here, uh, Jesus at the very end, the very last thing he says, there are some of among you who don't, who don't believe. So the issue here was there, 
their unwillingness to believe that he really was who he was claiming to be. And then finally, if you go back to, if you go down to the very end where, <laughs> you know, I don't know how many people walked away from him here, how many disciples turned away and were no longer, but it, it appears that however big, <laughs> right. However many there were more than the 12, it's, it appears in this story that all of them left and he's, he's stuck or he's not stuck, but he's left. 4,988 left. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he, he turns to the 12 and he says, you don't want to go away too. And I don't think Jesus was hurt feelings here. I think he was just turning to them and saying this, this is it. This is, this is who I am. And this is, this is what I'm presenting. Do you also want to go away? And then Peter, if you look at his answer, it wasn't that Peter grasped all of this. That, that wasn't the, the basis of him staying with Jesus. It was his confidence that Jesus really had been sent by the father. So he says, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy one of God. So his confidence was not in that. He understood everything that Jesus was communicating in, in this teaching here on, in John six, but as he was confident that Jesus really was. And I think that's, that's what we're left with here is do we, do we have confidence that Jesus really is the one sent from the father. I like your distinction between knowing something is true or believing something is true and then believing that it's real. And, and that's proven by, do we stick with Jesus? Mm -hmm. Well, any final thoughts from you? Um, oh man, I could, I, could keep, <laughs> I know we I could, could keep, keep going. going. I could keep going. Cause I, I, I know I, we could keep going. There's so much to this. Uh, there is the ripple effect of, of uh, what happens. Yeah. Do we believe that Jesus is what satisfies? Well, let me, let me, for those of you who are listening or watching on YouTube, let me throw it out to you. If you have questions about this particular passage, eat my flesh and drink my blood and this hard teaching of Jesus that you feel like we didn't get around to, let us know in the comments and maybe we can loop back to it on a future conversation. Also, if there are other hard sayings yeah. that you are in, you're particularly wanting us to address, like I said, there's no shortage of them, but if there's, if there are some that you especially want to know, what is Jesus really getting at? What, what should I, how should I understand this and how do I accept it? If we go back to that twofold challenge of the hard sayings is we want to understand them, but we also want to accept them here. It seems that they certainly didn't accept it. And I, I think some of that was driven by some of them just didn't understand it as well. Whereas the 12, I, I don't know that they understood it, but they accepted it. They, they said, okay, we're sticking with you until this begins to make sense. Yeah, if I give a little little last encouragement, it'll probably be verse verse 63. The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. And the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. And so, man, what a gift we have in scripture to say, how do I, how do I commune with God? You open up the word and say, the words, Jesus, you have spoken are full of spirit and they're full of life, and I want to commune with you. And so just some encouragement to do not just listen to this, and then as a believer, walk away and think that is interesting. That does us <laughs> no good, right? So right. go commune, sit down with this, meditate on it. Thank the Lord for being so giving of, of his son's flesh and blood that we would be able to know God and know him fully. So take advantage of that. I the Same for you and I, of, of be amazed at this. 
May we come to Jesus glorifying him for who he is and believing that's enough. And what he wants to provide for us, he sees our needs. He knows everything we need before we ask of him. May the glory of who Jesus is outshine what we think our needs are, our desires are. May we not run to him because he gives daily bread, but trust he gives daily bread. <laughs> but I'm going to run to him because he's awesome and he's glorious and, and, and beyond. So, yeah, thank you. It's been good stuff. Yeah, agreed, man. The challenge for us is to receive Jesus for who he is. And that is uh, front and center in this particular hard saying of Jesus. So thanks, Shelton, for coming yeah, on and yeah. uh, wrestling through this together. Looking forward to uh, the next one. Absolutely. Absolutely.